from Local 12 Sports. It's the Skinny Podcast. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Roaring. As always, it's presented by Blake, the attorney, Mazlin. We'll talk about some sports topics of local interest, maybe a national topic or so. We have a gambling segment, uh, which I don't think went very well for me last week. And my favorite part of the podcast, you can ask a question on any topic. Just go to the X-verse, hit up the hashtag AskSkinnyAnything. You can ask any question if you'd like. It doesn't have to be sports. It can be about sports. And Rick and I will try to answer those questions for you. Rick, it is into the new year we roll. Um, we're, we're fading away from the NFL season, certainly locally. Uh, we will have our focus primarily after this podcast, probably one more podcast dissecting Bengals stuff as we unfold the offseason. But boy, we're getting neck deep now into college basketball season with um, obviously everybody getting into conference play. And uh, it's, it's the time of year when we get really rolling in that department. Yeah, for us, it's one of our favorite times of the year. We love the college basketball season, but this feels like the time where the rest of the world starts actually paying attention to college basketball. Once the NFL winds down in your town and college football playoffs come to an end, it people start getting locked in on college basketball. So I'm looking forward to that, but we do still have a little bit more football and other nonsense to talk. We'll start with the Bengals, who fell to the Chiefs 25-17 on Sunday, ending their shot at reaching the playoffs and effectively ending their season. They have one more game this Sunday at Paycor Stadium against the Browns. That's at 1 p.m. Skinny, um, you know, big picture takeaway stuff from this game. I don't think anyone's surprised by the results or the way this season ended for the Bengals, but there are a lot of questions coming into this offseason now. I guess a big picture takeaway, what what did you discover about this team or what did you learn about this team throughout the course of this season that was sort of up and down and all over the place? I mean, honestly, how much the defense regressed. And, and maybe it's as simple as it's just a young secondary. And that's not an excuse. That is a fact. I mean, you had a rookie DJ Turner make a bunch of starts. Cam Taylor Britt, who was really good, was in his second year. You got you know, At one point, you're starting two rookie safeties in Dax Hill and Jordan Battle. And I say Dax is a rookie because he didn't really play safety last year as a rookie um, because of, of Jesse Bates and Von Bell. And Paul Deaner, the athletic, and I usually sit next to each other at games. Um, it's just the way the seating chart works out. And, and he made a good point. I went back and looked at the quote, and I'd forgotten about it until he brought it up. Um, and maybe it is as simple as, at the combine when he said they knew they were going to lose Jesse Bates, right? They just knew he said, he said, can't lose both. Can't lose both. And I'd forgotten about that quote. And I thought, you know, maybe it's as simple as that. Uh, you know, there was one play in particular, the one where Cam Taylor Britt looked like he had gotten run by for a deep pass from Rishi Rice. Well, Cam Taylor Britt said he thought they were in zone and he said the safeties didn't communicate. And I know that's pointing fingers and you don't like to hear that kind of stuff. I think he was just laying out what the situation was. And I think, to a large degree, you can point to youth. You can also point to regression at linebacker. I didn't think Logan Wilson had a very good year. I thought Jermaine Pratt, as the year went along, played worse and worse and worse. You know, he had one assisted tackle on Sunday. One. That was all he had. That, that can't happen. And so, to me, it's the regression of the defense, which led to all the big plays. I mean, the, the, the it's funny, back-to-back weeks, my lead was almost the same. Um, you know, the week before, it was four passes to uh, to or really technically three passes to George Pickens accounted for almost half of the, the yardage of the Steelers. In this game, six plays accounted for 225 of Kansas City's 370 yards. Big plays killed them all year. And maybe, again, it is a little slippage in some spots. You know, I don't think D.J. Reader played all that great till he got hurt. Um, again, he wasn't terrible. He was still a very solid player. Lou Anarumo said he was his most consistent player. So I'll take him at his word for that. Um but, you know, other than Trey Hendrickson piling up sacks, the defense did nothing to stand out. And I do think you look back and you go, a lot of the youth in the secondary really reared its ugly head as this season went along. Yeah, I mean, I mean aside from Trey Hendrickson, and may, let's say DJ Reader's in that group too, because I do think, you know, he was at least solid, if, if nothing else. Yeah. Who had yeah. a good year on the Bengals' defense? I, I think Tim Killer Britt did, but, you know, then he got hurt. and, and so Maybe DJ Turner? I thought DJ Turner hit the rookie wall big time um, and, and, okay. and his lack of tackling at times really hurt. Um, so, yeah, but, I, but I, yet I, he was still so much better than Nick Scott. Uh, well, no, you're talking about Jordan Battle, you mean? Oh, Jordan Battle, excuse me. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Well, although Sunday Jordan Battle misses two tackles that, that spills out to big plays. And so there's the inconsistency of that. I just, I, you know, to me, it was really you want to go, guys, Trey Hendrickson's a Pro Bowl player. Cam, he's not in the conversation yet because he doesn't have enough experience and enough cachet around the league, but I thought he played at a Pro Bowl level at times. Um, and and really, that's about – and then DJ being – that's about – that's 
that's a lot of negative from the rest of the group up front and the secondary and the linebacker core. And I think, again, the regression of the defense to me was the thing that was most alarming because um, it's not like they hit, got hit by a rash of injuries over there, right? I mean, Jermaine and, and Logan started all season. You know, DJ did get hurt, but he started for most of the season. You did have, a, you know, the issue with Cam at corner, but you got Chidobi Awuji back. And so all those things kind of even itself out. You really didn't have a rash of injuries on that side of the ball. It just wasn't very good play. Yeah, and obviously Awuzie not returning to form, not being right. himself after recovering from the injury didn't help either. But um, you know that just—I agree with you. The, the defense, and it certainly reared its head again in this loss, was a major issue throughout the course of the season. Despite all the things going on with the offense, Joe Burrow being hurt initially, coming back, them having some issues, then they get on track for a little bit, and then Joe Burrow's back out. I mean, you went through all those phases, and yet it felt like for the most part, the offense was still going to be good enough. To, to give you a chance, and the defense just couldn't do their part. Um, Skinny, let's play a little game. Well, first of all, before we do that, let's talk about the uh, last thing on this game because I know there are a lot of fans out there who want to talk about it, and we don't do the whole blame the refs thing and get into that, and I'm, I'm not saying we should spend a bunch of time doing so, but I, I am willing to acknowledge after this game the refs had some really weird moments in this one. Well, the, the, the grounding penalty, I still don't understand this minute. I just don't understand it. It makes absolutely – first of all, they almost never call that when the quarterback gets hit. Second of all, right. Joe Mixon is within, what, five yards of the pass? Easily. easily. At the very most? Yes, easily. That was a huge penalty in that, in that moment of the game. Massive. One thing I did want, I did, one thing I did want to dissect with you because I, I, it's, it's obviously been the play that's been dissected. The decision to go for it on fourth and one um, early in the third quarter, did you have a problem with them going for it? I, I, not a huge problem. I didn't I, have any problem with it. Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's an aggressive call. I think that's kind of the new age football mindset. Uh, I'm, I imagine they probably spent a lot more time uh, dissecting what the numbers say and, and whether that's a, a good call or a bad call in terms of efficiency, and, and they thought it gave them the better chance to win. So I, I don't get real into the whole going for it or not going for it calls like all the rest of these fans do. I know all of them play Madden, and so they're super experts on game clock management. I just don't have that skill. I, I usually assume the coaches are probably better than I am at it. Uh, but But let me save that because we will talk more about that in the college football playoff and I'll disagree with some coaching there, but this one, I didn't have much of a problem with. Yeah. I, I didn't like the fact of the, of the play call, to be honest with you. Um, I, I, especially it, it's the way Jake Browning made it sound like he, he wasn't even allowed to check out of that play. He sounded very angry. Cause I asked him about it after the game of um, I said, you looked visibly upset. Were you upset at the outcome? Or were you upset at, 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 at the play itself? And he said, well, the outcome, but he said, I got my rules down there. My rule said, I've got to run this play. And I'm thinking, well, can't, you can't check out of it. I, that, that sounded very odd to me, to be honest with you. Again, I have no, I know fans that it's the whole, well, they could have gone up seven and, and look at all the field goals that Kansas City ended up kicking. Well, maybe Kansas City doesn't kick field goals. Maybe they go for it in some of those fourth down situations. I don't, you can't, the game played out how it played out. Again, you can argue the, the execution of that play. I think you can argue and disagree with the play call itself, but the decision to go for it, you were probably in, in, in the mindset is you've got to score touchdowns to beat Kansas City, especially in Arrowhead. Agreed. Totally agree with that. And I, I again, fans, sports are they lend themselves to being able to second guess every sure. decision that doesn't work out. So fans are always going to question things like that. In my opinion, that's that's not one that's really an issue. I don't, I don't either, either way. Had they said, had they gone for it? It's fine. Had they not gone for it? I don't think it's like the end of the game or the decision that cost them the game. Right. Um, okay. Oh, by, the way, by, by, by the way, the defense was allowed to pin Kansas city back in there after they didn't, didn't make the first time they were allowed to do that. And they did. That, that was always an option. Um, let's play a little game called, is this their last game with the Bengals? Uh, I'm going to write something on that this week. I think. All right. You can go as quick as you want. It can be a simple yes, no. I don't want to spend a ton of time, but we're going to go one by one down these listed names, and you tell me if they will be playing their last game with the Bengals on Sunday, or maybe for a few of them, if they've already played their last game. Uh, T. Higgins. I think he's already played his last game. Tyler Boyd. Uh, last game. Jonah Williams. Last game. Chidobia Wuzier. Last game. Now, he's one I'll give a caveat to. If he tests the free agent market and doesn't find um, a big offer, and I don't think he's going to, I wouldn't mind re-signing him on a one-year prove-it deal if it works out for both parties. I, I think there's a depth piece, and again, even more time removed from the knee. Maybe that's maybe that's in both parties' interests. But again, I'm going to let him test the market. If somebody's going to give him a wild deal, you're not going to match that kind of wild deal, so why bother? So uh, I think you let him test it, but he's one that I 
I, I'm not so sure I, I don't bring back on a one-year prove-it deal if I can. I, I haven't looked back at any of the numbers, the pro football focus grades or anything, but am I wrong? Wasn't Chidobi Awuzie grading out as like one of the top corners the year that he got hurt? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. He was having a Pro Bowl year. Yeah, I mean, he was fantastic. I'd be willing to look at him another another year and see if he still got it in him at a discounted rate for sure. Agreed. Uh, uh, Drew Sample. No, I think he's back. Akeem Davis Gaither. Um, I think he's back too. And then the final one, and this guy I feel bad for, DJ Reader. Again, I'm going to give that caveat of nobody's going to probably offer him a contract as a free agent. Um, until they see how the rehab process goes for that quad. And I do believe that let's just play the game of it's midway through next year when he's fully healthy. And then he's looking for a team again. Is it in both parties interest on a, on, on whatever the rest of that season is a prove it deal to bring him back here. I, I do think that's still on the table. Yeah, uh, I, I would agree with that. All right. So, Obviously, we're going to have plenty of time to break down the offseason, the roster, all of that stuff. And we'll get into the draft. But this time when the season is first fresh and it's new and it's over, the immediate conversation. I mean, I was at my cousin's house watching the game on New Year's Eve and immediately before the game even hit zeros, we were talking about the draft. So, Skinny, what position are the Bengals most likely to take first overall as we sit here on January 3rd, obviously knowing things are fluid and this will all change and they'll get their grades on the different position groups and that could change how this all looks. But what right now, as you sit here on January 3rd, what would you think? A wide receiver, a plug-and-play wide receiver. They, they, they're, they've usually been very, very good historically. Of, of, of They don't scout very well in other positions, it doesn't seem like, but they seem to really do well at wide receiver. I know we can all go, well, Jamar Chase was easy. Yeah, he was easy. You're right. Um, T. Higgins wasn't easy. Um, it was a great pick at the point they picked it. Uh, you know, Tyler Boyd was a second round. They've done a really good job. Now, you can argue they whiffed, on John, they whiffed on John Ross, and that, <laughs> yeah. that's one. Everyone in their car is screaming that right now as sure. we're saying that, so you got to throw sure. it out there. I mean, yeah. but, but I can even go back to A.J. Green was easy, but they also took Marvin Jones and Muhammad Sanu. That was the one, two, three receivers for, for a chunk of playoff teams, right? So, and, and we've seen it. It feels like wide receiver is that position where, yeah, occasionally there's a whiff and a miss, but for the most part, I mean, look at all these young guys who come out and are able to play and have an impact right away. And they're all, almost always high round draft picks. And so I just think that's a position that that um, in college football is just an abundance of those guys. So to me, um, if you're going to lose both T and Tyler Boyd, um, I can't run Charlie Jones and Andre Yoshivash out there as my two and three next year. I need no offense to those guys. I thought Andre had some nice moments. But again, I, I need a I need another threat on the outside. Um, I'll figure out the slot guy later, you know, maybe a year of off season under Charlie Jones belt. He's ready to hit the ground running as the slot guy next year. Uh, maybe there's a slot guy out there in free agency that you can go get at a, at a, at a reasonable price and, and, and plug and play. So to me, it's wide receiver. Yeah. But you said both T Higgins and Tyler Boyd have likely played their last game as Bengals. So it would feel like wide receiver is a major yeah. priority heading into this off season. Uh, right now, the Bengals are set up to be the 16th, overall pick in the draft i guess that could still change depending on how this last week plays out uh but right now that's where they're sitting they can't be any worse than 18 so they'll be right around there uh looking at the draft and and kind of what what they're grading out in first round draft grades and all that seems like it's very heavy on offensive linemen especially tackles a lot of wide receivers with a first round grade from what i've seen and then i think you also have the the handful of quarterbacks that are going to go right at the top of the draft and and the Bengals obviously aren't worried about them so that could help them maybe knock a few receivers or or maybe i mean the other position i would think they have to be looking strongly at is defensive line help right oh sure yeah, I agree. Yeah, interior for sure. Yeah, um, I mean you've you've got your you got your exterior guys. I mean Hubbard, Hubbard, Hendrickson, and Miles Murphy one two three right there, and and whatever other depth piece you got as a fourth guy, um, you know that 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 part's fine. Yeah, for sure interior. I know people are going to scream offensive line, and I've said this. I I just I'm not in the yoke of drafting offensive linemen high. I just don't. I, I listen doesn't mean you don't draft them. That you know that those third, fourth, fifth round type guys for depth pieces and to kick the tires on. But to me. You're going to let Jonah Williams walk, and I think they will um, go sign a veteran to play that right tackle spot in the offseason. I, I just I want proven NFL tape. There's just too much of a crapshoot with college offensive linemen anymore. Well, and to their credit, I, I don't know how well you think it's worked, given you know obviously the uh, Lyle Collins situation from two years ago, but they have seemed to have made that their 
MO of yes. we're going to draft the other positions and sign the big free agent at the offensive line. So yeah. um, I'm, I'm fine with that. I, I like that approach. I do too. All right, Skinny. Uh, the the final thing I wanted to bring up to you is this is just such a annoying thing that coaches do, or not every coach, but Zach Taylor did. Why, why did he have to say that this Browns game is a big game if they're trying to win at all costs? Why is he insulting our intelligence like that? That's a good question. I, I do think I do think a winning record matters, right? Or whether whether anybody else wants to believe it. So I do think that that you know this franchise hasn't strung together a lot of three straight winning seasons. Um, I'm trying to do this off the top of my head. Uh, 75, 76, 77, 88, 89, 90. The five straight years they went to the playoffs under Marvin in this. So, I mean, this is this is something that doesn't happen a lot for this franchise. So I do think it's important, you know, if, listen, they, I can't remember as a Cleveland Browns player because I put a story up on our website from the Associated Press where Kevin Stefanski talked about not playing a lot of his starters and one of their linebackers, I think it was Taki Taki, said, hey, they keep score for a reason. I mean, so, you know, I, if they're going to keep score of a game, if you're playing in it, you certainly don't want to lose it. But, yeah, I don't think it's a big game. I don't know why he's considering it a big game. Uh, maybe that's just, uh, you know, in, in the moment of that loss, maybe it just felt like that's what he needed to say. I I, 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 was, I was sitting there when he said it, and I went, it's not, in my mind, like, it's not a big game. It's just it's playing out the string, bro, but sure. He kept he kept going back to that in the press conference after they had just played the big game and lost it. And he kept like making it a big deal to say, oh, we've still got one more game. It's really big. We're going to make sure to go out and get, it's like, Zach, just stop. I mean, your season ended today. It is what it is. You don't, you know, Bill Belichick's not going to get up there and say, we've got a big game next week. You, you don't have to do that. I, I know, I know they'd still probably like you to say that up there. I mean, the tickets are already sold, so I don't know really what the benefit of it is, but I'm sure the Bengals brass likes you to get up there and act like that's still an important game. So people show up and buy beer or whatever, but I mean, come on. I will, I will be interested too, Rick, because it's supposed to be just a nasty day on Sunday, like slushy, rainy, snowy, ugliness. If people, how many people just say to hell with it? I've already bought my ticket, but I ain't going. Yeah, I think there will be a lot of people feeling that way, especially if it's as cold as it's been. So, all right, let's switch gears to college football, Skinny. We had the college football playoff semifinals. They were out. Standing. Uh, Michigan beat Alabama 27-20. Washington hung on to beat Texas 37-31. So it was the exact opposite of the way we expected it to go. But uh, both games were fantastic. We'll start with that Michigan-Alabama game. I don't know about you, Skinny. There were a lot of big plays in this game. To me, the play of the game that I just can't get out of my head that could have gone so differently was the play where it was the trick play kind of flea flicker where they pitched out run of the side and then threw it back to the quarterback and JJ McCarthy made a great up, catch, made a one handed catch over his head, jumping, hauled it in smoothly. And then while getting pressured was able to get a throw off his back foot, complete it downfield for a big first down. Now, granted it, it's it, the, the completion. Isn't the end of the world. Like had he just grabbed that ball, gotten tackled right there and lost five or six yards. It was first down. They were driving. It's the second quarter. So it's not a big deal had he just gotten tackled right there. The catch was the real play. But being able to call that in and then get it completed downfield as he's getting hit, basically, was uh, one of the most incredible plays. And you think, had he not caught that ball, it was to the wide side of the field where they were throwing that backwards pass back to him. score. It's right. It probably stays in bounds. It probably doesn't score it out of bounds right away. Right. There's a good chance that's a scoop and score and the entire game is different. I thought that was just such a no. play. As someone who had a, a, a wager on Alabama, when, when that when that lateral was being thrown, literally I screamed, stupid, because I thought there's no way he's catching this thing. And then you're Same. right. Yeah, the presence of mind to not freak out after making the catch and then throw it. And maybe it was just nothing more than divine luck that he just grabbed it and slung it and said to hell with it. Maybe how Brian maybe he's trying to just throw it away, get it out of his hand. I don't know, but it was a it was an incredible play. Yeah, the the other part about this game, I don't understand how Michigan survived its special teams performance. Have you ever seen a special teams cost a team more? And yet somehow they found a way to win that game still. And the funniest part about it all is that the special teams coordinator is Jay Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh's son. Right. I would love to know what their conversations have been like since the end of that game. Well, I, 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 I never try to make this personal, but man, I kept looking, they kept showing the shot of the kid on the sideline, the punt returner. And the whole time I'm thinking, boy, kid, if you didn't go back and get that ball or it didn't bounce just the right way, what, what, what would his offseason? I mean, that, that, that was a defining moment for that dude. Right. I mean, um, 
again, that thing could have taken a weird bounce. It could have taken another bounce back into the end zone. I mean, it would kind of, again, talk about some bounces of the ball or the way the, the, the I guess, a, a luck is shining on you was the McCarthy play. Again, it was a great athletic play, but there's some luck involved with that too. And then this kid being able to somehow not have that ball go in the end zone, have the presence of mind to go back and, and get it and stay out of the end zone. And it obviously didn't put him in great field position, but it, the, the other way could have just been an utter disaster. I mean, think about it, that's maybe 14 points that Alabama could have had off of miscues. I mean, easily could have had. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that throughout the game and then after it for a while of just like, good God, that game could have gone so much differently. And, it, and quite honestly, Michigan looked like the better team for the entire game. I they thought did. Had it not been for the special teams miscues, it, it could have been an even bigger blowout, I think, or a, a bigger win for them, not a blowout necessarily. But um, yeah, I just, the other, the other thing that was really strange about this game was how bad was Bama's center down the stretch? Oh Those snap issues cost them the game. It did. I don't know. Is that nerves? Is that is that? What, not, yeah. What happened? It, they said it, that it had been a problem for weeks, but like it, for most of the game, I didn't notice a problem with it. And then all of a sudden, the final drive, it's like those guys are fighting with each other. Milrow and the center are arguing, and the snaps are coming down at his feet. They're coming before he's asking for them. I mean, that was. I don't know that I've ever seen an issue like that in a critical moment of the game. Well, that feels like you're so nervous about blocking the guy in front of you, right? That, that I that, think that's that, what that, that's where your worry is more than the snap. And, and that's what was going on. I mean, Michigan was dominating the the line of scrimmage pretty much the entire night on both sides of the ball, but definitely down the stretch there, they were getting a lot of pressure up pressure up the middle. And I do think that the center was worried about trying to get up and block before he had he had completed the snap, and and that ended up costing them. So that was a great game. Then. You have the Washington-Texas game, which I expected to be a shootout. It was mostly a shootout, although we had that lull there in the middle of the game for a bit. Uh, I said last week, Skinny, that as good as they've looked and as many times as they've proven me wrong, I just didn't believe in Washington and Michael Penix. And once again, he just shoves it right in my face. 29 of 38, 430 yards, two touchdowns. He wasn't a guy that people were talking about a lot with the NFL draft, but I would imagine this feels like almost the NCAA tournament in basketball skinny. If he if he has another game like this in the championship, it feels very much like he's always going to all of a sudden going to shoot up into the top of the draft board. Yeah, I saw I don't know how I got on this wormhole of a Twitter feed. I can't remember what the tweet I saw that took me down this wormhole. How many Denver Bronco fans had they there somebody made a like Michael Penix in a Broncos jersey of here's your next Broncos quarterback? And I did look uh you mentioned we were talking some mock draft stuff or, or NFL draft stuff earlier. I looked at a CBS sports mock draft yesterday. Um and uh you know he's clearly in the first round. I mean he's he, he doesn't look the part, right? But but all he does is he's accurate. He's a competitor. Um, he makes plays. And those sometimes, you know, I think those are the guys that, you, that, that NFL teams a lot of times overlook and they go, well, he doesn't have this measurable. That me- Let your eyeballs tell, tell the truth of what that guy is. The guy just makes plays in big moments. And I, I, don't, I don't think you can discount that if you're an NFL team. Well, and part of the problem he's fighting, I think, is a lot of people saw him as a prominent, highly touted quarterback at Indiana, and they watched him flop in that role. He started off hot. Everyone thought he was going to be great. It didn't work out. And I don't know how much of that was because of him and how much of that was because of right. Indiana's program being a dumpster fire, but it, it didn't work out. And then he went out to the West Coast, and yeah, Washington's great. They're a great story. They're winning a bunch of games, but not everyone actually watches West Coast games intently. Right. And I right. think that has cost him in terms of his uh, image and the way people like myself who have been willing to write him off all season, and yet he just keeps proving us wrong time and time again. I think it's kind of gone that way a little bit in terms of his his scouting and his draft stock a little bit too. And all of a sudden, people are starting to catch up here right at the end of the season. And um, I don't know if it's right or wrong, but I do think we're going to see his draft stock change majorly here in the last month plus. So. Well, here to your point, it should, but then comes pick-apart season, then comes combine pick-apart time, and, and that's what's going to probably happen to this poor kid. They're going to pick him apart. It could be, but I mean, I don't even think he was getting first-round grades a month ago or two months ago. I mean, oh, I think that's not. more that's newer to him. So either yeah. way, I, I, he's already risen up. I think that's only going to continue. Um Skinny, what did you think? We were just talking about the the clock management, Bengals go up for it, what have you. The end of this game, Washington, Texas, Washington's really in control. They're trying to melt the clock. They had an interesting situation where their player gets injured, their running back gets injured, and that really changed the game all of a sudden and gave Texas a chance where they otherwise really wouldn't have had one. But were you surprised that they decided to keep running the ball in those situations at the end of the game instead of just kneeling it out? 
because that's um, what led to the yes. running back getting injured that allowed the clock right. to stop and gave Texas the chance. Yeah, I mean, even even if you, you know you're thinking, hey, if we can just hold on to it for a few more seconds, to me, the kneel out and and if you'd had to punt it with just seconds to go, you just punt out of bounds and they got to throw some kind of crazy wild hail mary situation up there. I mean, to me, it, it was weird, and and I, I sometimes I sometimes wonder if coaches they just they don't think in those terms of, of clock. They just, they think in terms of, of just continuing to, to maintain the game. To me, I think that's where you better have some kind of coach and NFL teams are really good about this now analytics guys and whatnot of, of giving them exact up to the second eight. Here's what we got until the two minute warning. You can get a playoff if you'd like, if not, just let it go. They, they're, they're much better at that stuff. They're not perfect at it, mind you, but that was a weird situation. Well, and I know, I think this is a new thing that coaches are into too. I don't, maybe it's not a new thing, but very much into the, if we get the first down in this situation, then the game's over. Right. right. I mean, like instead of the kneeling it out, you can just try to get the first down, you get the first down. It's completely over. You don't even have to give it back at all. Um, as it was set up, had they kneeled it out and taken all the play clock time off, which they weren't doing that either. They were snapping no, right. the ball with like six or seven seconds left yeah. each time, which was silly. Um, but had they taken all that time down and just kneeled it, they would have punted the ball back with about 15 seconds. Left. Right. So it's like, to to me, that's a much more safe scenario than taking the chance on fumbling the ball on any of those carries or what ended up happening, which is they're running back on third down, carries it, hurts his knee, and they have to stop the clock. And so now you punt it with 45 seconds left. And in addition to that, you run into the, the punt returner as he's calling for a fair catch. Get fair catch interference. I mean, Skinny, that almost was too good to be true for Texas. The way that no. played out, I go, oh, my God, Washington just had one of the worst choke jobs we've ever witnessed. And then somehow their defense found a way to to keep Texas from scoring. But it looked like it was headed for disaster. Yeah, and I, like I said, I think for coaches, to your point, I think it's more thinking in terms of get the first down. That's automatically – I'd rather end it with us having the football in our hands rather than them having the football. And I, and I get that thought process to some degree, but – I mean, the, the risk of a fumble, the risk of an exchange issue. I, I I don't want any of that in that circumstance. I'd rather just say, listen, if we can't stop a team from going 80-some-odd yards in 15 seconds, well, then so be it. Right. So the championship game will feature Michigan and Washington. The Wolverines are a four-and-a-half-point favorite. The total is 55-and-a-half. Uh, we don't have this on our official pick skinny, but – any thoughts on this championship matchup since I don't know why anyone would want our thoughts given how bad they no were question. last week, yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, I guess here's the thing. Michigan passes the eyeball test times 50. They've done it all year. And um, I still thought Alabama on paper, I still think Georgia is the best team in the country, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but um, Michigan passed the eyeball test. I think for some of it was their non-conference wasn't very tough. The big 10 wasn't very good. Um, you know, that's, and I think some of that, you just, you know, they were life and death to beat Ohio State. And Ohio State was very, very good, but it just, it, but for the most part, they they passed the eyeball test. But you just discounted just because of the Big Ten wasn't very good, to be quite honest with you. And so, um, I think that was my problem with it. I think for Washington, I keep discounting their ability to win one score football games, and they keep proving it over and over again. So in this game, I can clearly tell you, I think Michigan wins, but Washington finds a way to cover. <laughs> There, there you go. I, yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you on Michigan. The, the eye test tells me Michigan is the better team. They were super impressive against Alabama because I thought they controlled that game, really. If it wasn't for their special teams, I think they win that game by two scores and were, were even more impressed by the way they handled it. So I'm going Michigan. I've been completely wrong with the way I've handicapped this entire postseason, so I don't, I don't feel strongly about it at all, but that is the team I like. The one takeaway I, I have from all of this is the college football expanded playoff is going to be so awesome. Could you imagine if Georgia was still in the mix right oh, now? Yeah. Oh, we had all sure. these storylines and we had Georgia still playing and these teams are going to have to meet up. I mean, it is just going to be incredible. Those two football games were great. Speaking of which, I don't know if you saw a story in the athletic um, and it was, one, it was, I think Nicole Auerbach wrote it. it. It was trying to find a solution to, you know, stopping these opt outs in, in, in these bowl games and part of the solution was pay the players. And I'm not opposed to that. If that's what keeps some of these guys around to pay them. Uh, I'm all for that. That, that Georgia-Florida State game was an abomination. Yep. So, like, um, in other words, you would make some type of incentive for playing the yes. bowl game. Instead of giving them, like, swag stuff yes. when they show up, you just give them a check? Real cash, real cash money. I think that might work. I mean, I don't know what the dollar amount needs to be that, to incentivize yeah, I, yeah, I a guy either. that could be a draft pick. You know, I, I mean, don't either. How do you get a Marvin Harrison Jr. to play in a game like that? Would he? 
Yeah, I don't, and that's a great question. I, I don't know the, I mean, I don't know the answer to that either. But I, I at least, I think that that was at least starts a conversation towards the solution because this is not working. And the, the sad part is the playoffs were spectacular. These well, other well, bowls have not been so spectacular, and that, that's, I mean. So here's the reality of it all, Skinny. Let's just do away with the other silly bowl games. Now we have the expanded playoff. We have the teams that matter that'll actually be playing. If you didn't make it the top twelve, your season's over. Sorry. Like, if you want to form some weird little NIT deal that no one cares about and we have an edible Pop-Tart doing goofy stuff, that's fine with me. I'm, and, I'm, and I'm that, good on all of that. And that part, that part's not is, is, a, is a good call. It's just now with the 14 playoff, it affects more bowls in a negative fashion, like major bowls in a negative fashion. Yeah, I, I just I'm, – I'm done with the – I've never really cared about the bowl games that weren't determining a championship. I always thought college football play before they actually went to the playoff. I always thought it was the worst postseason system in all of sports. And now that they went to the playoff, it's like, okay, great. Now we have four teams that matter, but the rest of it has gotten even more silly and even more ridiculous. So just do away with it. I don't need the tax slayer bowl. I don't need any of the, the, the Detroit oh, motor do. city bowl. I need my capital one bowl mania, buddy. I, I just don't. I mean, like these, these games the the only people, all the way through, baby. The fans of these teams don't even care about these games. The only people who care about these games are betters. And even then, it's hard to care about them because of all the opt outs. By the way, did you see, did you watch any of the Kentucky Clemson game? I was just going to bring that up. Kentucky lost to Clemson 38 35. What were your thoughts? Well, first off, did you see the, 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 the two fans up in the upper deck? Like they were the only ones in the upper deck? Yes. And they weren't the only ones at multiple bowl games that was going on where was no great. one showed up for these things. That was great. Um, that that just feels like a typical Kentucky loss that is that I've watched my whole lifetime, where it feels like they're about to win something cool and they end up finding a way to lose it. Yeah, just I mean, that, there's really nothing more that needs to be said. That was just so typical of Kentucky football, it felt like. And and quite honestly, it's another one of the situations of like, who really cares? The game means I nothing. care. Yeah, I, I I was thinking Skinny's probably the only person in the state right now yelling at his TV screen right now as I was watching the ending of that game. The third and 18 play where they literally give a guy a 16-yard out to give him a fourth and manageable is the damnedest thing I've ever seen. Incredible. All right, any other college football thoughts before we move on here, Skinny? Um, Ohio State better find him a quarterback. I don't know that Devin Brown's it. I mean, tough situation to be put in, it was, obviously, but... but- it, that very much signaled to me you got some major competition going into spring football, my man. Yep. Yeah, you are not going to be quarterback 1A and everybody's playing to back you up. It is definitely going to be you're fighting for a job, and I don't know how good your chances are of getting it after that performance. Uh, all right, let's move on to college basketball. We'll start with the North skinny because, quite honestly, it was just a terrible week of college basketball Ooh. action. There wasn't much going on. NKU did play a big game in terms of Horizon League action they lost to Purdue Fort Wayne 73 to 60 at Fort Wayne and uh, Purdue Fort Wayne is actually the highest ranked team in the Horizon League right now by four, Ken Palm and, and by net. the league as well right exactly they're they're 86th in the net um the Norse will host Youngstown State Thursday night at seven and then they're at Cleveland State 4 p.m on Sunday this was the first game without Sam Vincent skinny as it has been confirmed that he has a torn ACL he's going uh going for surgery that's already been scheduled I thought the first 10 to 15 minutes of this game looked great. NKU had a lead. Their defense was off the charts in terms of intensity. And then somewhere along the way, they lost that intensity and they, they couldn't get it back from there. It got kind of ugly. Well, I mean, you, you take the key piece out and it's not only just taking the key piece out. It's also affecting your rotation too, right? I mean, I, I think that's the, that's the other part that you're going to take some time getting used to is, is how do you now divvy up the, the, the minutes that Sam Vincent would play? And he played big minutes. So you're taking a score, a defender, uh, a, a guy with high basketball IQ, and then you're also your rotations messed with. And I think that's going to take a little bit of time. It looked like statistically, at least Jeremiah Israel played pretty, pretty well. Um, but again, the whole rotation piece to me is the big part. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, you, you know, you look at his minutes, it says 33 minutes in the box score. But when you talk about like an actual competitive game, a, a game against a top of the team in the Horizon League, it's more like 37, 38 minutes. I mean, he, he right. really doesn't come off the floor in those games. And so you think about making up that amount of time and Michael Bradley, who's played a lot of minutes and is basically a starter for this team, he can eat up a lot of them. Jeremiah Israel can play a lot of them. But regardless, even when those guys go off the floor at some point, you're going to be putting out unknowns, young players, guys who haven't proven themselves yet. And when we talk about the intensity taking a dip on the defensive end, 
That's not when you substitute guys who either don't know the system as well or just don't have the same attributes, aren't able to do the same things defensively. You are going to have a drop off. And I think that's what we really saw in this game. The question for this team will be, can your guys like Marquez Warwick and Trey Robinson and maybe even those those two big men, Keanu Tijre and Cade Meyer, who transferred into the program, who haven't probably been as productive as you would like to this point. Can those guys find a way to pull you through those moments, especially on the offensive end? Like that. Th- they cannot have any laws on offense anymore because defensively losing Sam, they're just not going to be the same team. Yeah, and, and, and I think you'll agree with this. Keep in mind, even with Sam Vincent, they could have gone to Fort Wayne and lost because to your point, Fort Wayne's really good. So Without a doubt. And really, their whole this whole stretch, these first four games, they play Purdue-Fort Wayne. They, they um, I was just mentioned that they play Youngstown State, they play Cleveland State, and then they'll play Oakland And that next game. Those are the top four teams in the Horizon League by any metric you look at. Ken Palm, Net what have you. So um, it's they could play really well in these first four games without Sam and not win any of them. And I don't know that that's – that. obviously you won't feel good if you're an NKU fan watching them go 0-4, but I don't know that that's indicative of whether or not they can compete in the Horizon League this year. They, uh, I think there's a clear line of demarcation, as you would say, Skinny, between the top four or five teams in the league and the rest of the league who's pretty much at the bottom. So I, I do think they'll – the, the schedule will lighten up a little bit as they get deeper into conference play, but these first four games are going to be difficult. And uh, I think it's going to be a process going forward without Sam. Like it, we're, It's going to go in stages. I think we're going to have these first few games, and then they'll maybe start to turn a corner a little bit. They'll look like a different team. We'll start to go, okay, they're figuring this out. And then I think we get into those final games. We'll see another sort of I agree. remake of this team or remix, and they'll, they'll try to change it up again. So uh, that's probably enough on NKU. Kentucky also had a game. They beat Illinois State 96-70. to So Illinois State did actually lose by more points to Kentucky than Louisville did. Uh, <laughs> good for the Cardinals. I, I chalked that up as a, as a win in my book. The Wildcats play at Florida on Saturday at 1230. And I don't really have much to ask you about Kentucky after that Illinois State win, but we did get an Ask Any Anything question about the Wildcats that I'll throw out to you right now. Is Reed Shepard really a top 25 pick in the next NBA draft? I don't see that. I really don't. I know he's kind of vaulted into some of those things. I think he's a Skinny. really good player. I, I looked I up a, a mock draft last night because of this question because I, I didn't realize he was getting this much yeah, uh, yeah, attention. Yeah, sure. Someone had him as a lottery pick. They had him number nine overall wow. in their mock draft, which I'm not saying that's accurate, but it is crazy to see how quickly he is shot up here. Yeah, the one thing he he does struggle with is 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 guarding guys straight line drives he's and 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 if it's having a hard time in college i i can't imagine what that would be like at the nba level uh he can shoot it he's a great passer he's one of those guys if you gave hockey assists he's the guy that knows how to outlet it to somebody down the floor to push a fast break that i think gets underrated it's not an assist but it's it's getting your eyes down the floor and knowing that the pass is going to beat everybody else he's really good at that um he makes smart plays he doesn't take bad shots um, but defensively, I just man, I, I he's going to have to take some steps forward for me to to consider him a first round NBA guy, let alone a lottery guy. I love his game, and he's he's been a big part. It's for a lot of people, maybe even for Cal. Um, I'm going to guess he's he has surprised a lot of people. This feels very much like uh, a situation where he would come back, and like he's in a situation. I don't think his parents are rushing him out the door to the NBA. Right. They don't need right. it, and. They they understand the whole Kentucky benefit and being a legend in Lexington and all of that type of thing. So I this feels like one where he would make a sound decision, not be rash about it, and would be willing to come back for another year. And if somebody tells him he's a lottery pick, then do your thing, man. Well, that's what I was just going to say. But if he's, I mean, even if he's a top, you know, what, 20, 25 pick, you got to start thinking about it if you're him, just because that is very real money to be passing up. But now, if you're getting that, that type of grade very- now... And for that, it sounds very hot takey to me because I, 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 again, I just don't see him on the defensive end being able to guard NBA guys at the moment. Yeah, I see him more as a second round guy if he's going this year. Now, that's not to say yeah. down the line he won't be a high. Yeah, draft I think once you like, start factoring foreign guys in and other guys who declare for the draft and you really see what the raw numbers are. I just, I'm sorry, I don't see it. Yeah, there's still a lot of basketball to be played here, and a lot of basketball against SEC opponents. So we'll see how the rest of that. I'm not saying he's he's gonna fall off or anything because he's been great, but um, I just lottery pick seems crazy to me right now, and even top 25 is is a bit much. I would I would have him more like a second rounder. With that being said, neither one of us are going through all of these prospects and pouring over it and, and be an NBA draft anal- uh, analyst. So. Yeah, Cincinnati beat Evansville 76-58. Uh, 
The Bearcats play at number 12 BYU on Saturday at 10 p.m. to kick off Big 12 play. Uh, not not really much to say here either, Skinny. I mean, I'm kind of done watching UC play by games at this point. We know who they are in those matchups. The real question is, was the Xavier and Dayton game aberrations? Was it just not getting punched in the mouth for the first time and not being ready for that? Or is that really who they are? A team who is better than mid-major teams, but not really competitive against quality high-major teams. I think that, in my opinion, that's where they are. I, I do think there's going to be an overreaction either way that what happens in BYU. BYU is really good, and they're off to a great start. Um, you know, there's a potential you go out there and get punched in the mouth and lose by 25, and the overreaction would be, oh, my God, they're not going to win any games in the Big 12. I, I'm not – I, I want to see what it looks like. Um, I mean, maybe they play competitive and the overreaction is, oh, they're going to win seven or eight games. I mean, this is a tough road game and it's going to be a loss anyway, no matter what. It was just a matter of what the margin was. So I, I, I do think there's going to be an overreaction to this game either way. And maybe I'll be the one doing the overreacting on next week's podcast. Yeah, we, we, we probably will be involved in that. But I'm with you. This BYU game, they've just been playing so well that almost regardless, it feels like the fans are not going to understand what what this game means. Um, Xavier plays at Villanova tonight, Wednesday night, as we're recording this at 8.30 p.m. They've been on a hiatus, and then after this Villanova game, they will have another basically week-long break. So Why not a lot that? of action for the Muskets. Well, th- I think they had their um, holiday break sort of scheduled in here and a little bit okay. of uh, a break. And then the Big East schedule came out, and they each team kind of has that week where they're on a bye week, essentially, and that happened to fall right after the holiday break for the Musketeers. So they have sort of two breaks back-to-back, Nice little time to work on yourself and get better for a team that's been struggling and for a team that's young. Uh, but yeah, head, head to Villanova tonight. It's just hard to say anything with this Xavier team going into a game because it's all about which Xavier team is actually going to show up. If it's the team that played against Seton Hall or played against Houston, then I think they can be competitive with Villanova. I don't think they're necessarily going to win that game on the road. But uh, if it's the team that played at St. John's, they're going to lose by 20 at Villanova. Right. I mean, it's just, it's that simple. And with the Xavier team, they've been so inconsistent. It's hard to figure out. Yeah. I just go back to, to the whole, um, you're counting on, you're counting on guards to make threes on the road, at least one of your guards to make threes on the road. And I, I just think that's a big ass. Can it happen occasionally? Sure. But it's, it's, it's something that's hard to hang your hat on in my opinion. Yeah, especially against Villanova with that switching right, defense right. where they keep it really tight and they let teams shoot threes. That's been their big Achilles heel this year is how many threes opponents are making and how well they're shooting from beyond the arc. They rank very low nationally in both statistics. And with Xavier, it's like, okay, well, great. If Quincy and Trey Green get hot and knock down some open threes in this game, you're in a great situation. But if that doesn't happen, then it's going to be really difficult for Xavier to generate any offense against that packed in switching man to man without much of a post presence to throw the ball into either. So yeah, we'll, we'll see how that goes, but um, it'll be interesting to see Xavier get through these first few weeks of big East play to see, okay, you've had two weeks off to kind of work on yourselves. Are these young guys going to start to ramp it up a little bit and, and improve or are you kind of in this mode of inconsistency and, and going to struggle to get to, to seven or eight wins in conference play. Uh, all right. I think that's enough on college basketball. We do have a Reds note here to get to skinny on Tuesday. They announced that they signed Frankie Montas to a one year, $14 million contract for 2024 with a $20 million mutual option for 2025, $2 million buyout. If they don't want that, um, what were your thoughts on this? They needed some, some more pitching help. Uh, crawl. Nick crawl has said he doesn't see any more, big splash additions after this one. Although I'll tell you, never listen to a GM when he tells you anything because he's not giving you, I don't know what his new title is actually. I guess he's been promoted from that role, but uh, don't listen to those guys front office guys when they're telling you what their plans are. That being said, um, what do you think of this new newest addition skinny and where the overall off season roster is it is after these moves? There's no question the pitching's better on paper by by a long shot. Um, you know, Frankie Montas, if he's healthy and he says he, he is, he says the shoulder feels fine. He says that's what he's most looking forward to is is pitching healthy. And um, when he's been healthy, he's been pretty good. Um, you know, you could have a scenario. I don't think this is going to happen, Rick, but I'm going to run down all these names. You could have a scenario where Andrew Habit starts in AAA this year. Think about that for a minute. I mean, Nick, that was a guy that we were talking about. Is he your three? Right. Is, he, is your number three? So if everybody's healthy, and that includes Nick Lodolo being healthy, you'd have Montas, 
Hunter Green, Ashcraft, Wadolo, Brandon Williamson, Abbott, and throw Connor Phillips into the mix. And again, that's a, that's a good problem to have. Yeah. Now the thing is, you're still in a situation where you're you got a lot of guys that still have to prove themselves. Correct. A lot of names, a lot of things that sound good on paper before the season starts. You actually need some of these guys to step up and be guys and live up to the potential. That but you're I'm not working. watching Luke. I'm not watching Luke Weaver or Louis Sessa start games this yeah, year. That's the thing, though. You now have enough quality options in theory, assuming guys are healthy and everything, that you don't have to go to these. 4A or even lesser arms that you've been using the, the past season or two. Yeah, yeah, and they still they like Lion Richardson. They like the Spires kid. I mean, they'll headline that Louisville, the, the likely Louisville rotation. So you've got also some guys waiting in the wings for death pieces. Uh, and that, that again, last year it felt like at times. I mean, can you imagine when it, in the playoffs what they were going to end up wind up starting? I mean, they were such a mishmash down the stretch. I mean, it was just throw a guy out there and hope. And and so this year it's more. These five guys earned it. It's five legitimate major league starting pitchers with guys who are going to have to send to AAA who have also started in one games at this level. We just don't have room for them at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it's it's um, I, I try not to get too excited about a move like this because ultimately, I mean, Frankie Montas isn't going to be the difference between where the Reds want to go, where the Reds want to be and where they were at last year. But overall, just the quality of depth that they seem to have in the pitching rotation from the moves they've and made the and right, right. Yeah. I, I was, I was factoring that in, in addition to the starters that it's like some of these depth pieces in the, the starting rotation are going to end up in that bullpen, which is going Maybe. to make the bullpen even better. I it's hard not to be optimistic about the way things are, are sitting right now for the Reds. They had last season, got everyone excited and I wouldn't say they've made like a huge splash in the off season, but it feels like it's just been a solid yes. off season for them. And that's all I, I think that's all you should ask for. I, again, I wasn't expecting to go into the show high uh, market or a market for uh, a high priced pitcher. I, they, they tried Sonny Gray. I will give them this. They tried. They tried to get Sonny Gray. Couldn't come to come to terms. And um, I think for the most part, overall, they've made their team better. That's the bottom line. On paper, they have made this team better. Um, and listen, you were knocking on the door of the playoffs last year. On paper, this team is better than that team that almost made the playoffs a year ago. And that they almost made the playoffs with the first 50 games being a train wreck, trying to sort things out before you brought all the kids up. Right. Uh, Skinny, anything else on the Reds, their offseason, Frankie Montas, or we could Yeah, I was surprised. To- they, I, I, I wasn't sure they were going to make another move. And I was actually, I just got into my hotel in Kansas City when that news broke, and I went, okay, well, good for you guys. Yeah, do you, I mean, I would think this this is true I from the so. crawl, that yeah. that's their last kind of bigger move. It, is that your expectation? Yeah, yeah, I, I think yeah, I, I think at this point that the roster is what it is. Now it's it's honestly sorting out um, some guys who are going to have to go to AAA that, that can probably play at the big league level and play well and or pitch well. Yep. All right, let's get into our betting segment. You were three and three last week in our official picks. I was four and two. I did hit my favorite bet, the under in the Iowa Tennessee game. Although that was a crazy finish, if you watched that, it was uh, it came in just under. You did not hit your teaser, right? Um, I can't remember what I had for my teaser. De- Denver, Seattle, Giants, Jacksonville. Seattle's the one that got me because Seattle got me in real life. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I didn't have the time to look all those up. But there you go. That's that's where we're at. So this week's game, we only have the Browns at the Bengals, which is a completely meaningless game for both teams. Browns are going to be resting people. Bengals are out of playoff contention at this point. Bengals are a six-point favorite. The total is 38 and a half. I'll go. I think the Bengals do play starters some, um, not all. Uh, you know, I'd be shocked if Jamar Chase is out there. I'd be shocked if T's out there. Um, I think the Browns are, it seems like, are going to rest, and rightfully so. They literally have nothing to play for here. Um, I'll go Bengals 23, Browns 7. So Bengals in the under. All right. Bengals in the under for you, Skinny. I'm going Browns 13. Bengals 10, uh, so Browns in the under for me. Over under A.J. Macaroni snaps in this game. I'm going to say you got to put him in there, right? He's going to get at least a quarter. You don't have to, you don't yeah. have to but I, if this feels very preseason game three. Like, like yeah, you're going to give him that quarter, quarter as a pat on the head. Yeah, I'm going to say he gets at least two series and throws. Okay. Uh, 
Uh, you said snaps, not passes. So I'm going to say he gets um, 12 snaps. Okay. That's the over-under. It sounds good. Yeah, 12 and a half or 11 and a half. We'll set it at. There you go. All right. Um, ask any anything. We've got a handful of questions to get through. Let's today, do it. Skinny. Uh, more likely to happen first, the end of non-playoff bowl games or the return of the Seattle Supersonics to the NBA? <laughs> um, I'll go to the return of the Seattle Supersonics to the NBA. I would rather it be the former, but you're probably right. Would Skinny or you... I guess that's me. Make any changes to the KHSAA Sweet 16 seed instead of draw, location, class system, et cetera. Are they considering making changes or is no, this people, just a random people, question? No, people have floated that around about the possibility of seeding. They do They do have RPI. Um, they have it in football and they've actually gone to, I want to say, you see the quarterfinals. I know for sure it's the semifinals. I think it's the quarterfinals in football playoffs are then redone. They do it by region, but then it's RPI determines home team, et cetera, and determines matchup. Um, again, the whole part of this is if you're in the one class system is the randomness of it. And, and I know, listen, sometimes all the good teams are on one side of the draw and the lesser, it just is what it is. Um, I think that's kind of what makes it so special is maybe sometimes a team gets that advantage of that draw and lo and behold, they're in the state championship game and pulling off a miracle state title. Cause they only had to win one big game to do it. I, yeah. I, I, I know the RPI being floated out there is one of those ones where that's where the, it feels like they're going to go in that direction. Eventually. I just, I I'm kind of good with the randomness of it. Yeah. I mean, it's 2023. So my thing would be, let's first of all, make sure all these teams get on the same standardized st- stat pro- stats program. So we have all the numbers the same way, and we could do any advanced analytics or anything. We can have a Ken Palm site set up or you know, the, the KHSA version of that, high school version of Ken Palm, or you're saying they're using some type of RPI formula, which I don't yep. like the RPI, but whatever. What, whatever they're going to use, let's just make sure everyone has the same stats program and you have all the numbers for each team so it's all the same. Let's do that for a year or two, and then maybe you start playing around with advanced analytics to see if there's a way that it might be able to be more fairly seated. Um, The problem with that is, is as we've seen this year with a team like Cincinnati, for instance, your Ken Palm numbers, even when they're supposed to be adjusted for the level of competition can be manipulated. If you're a team that beats up on bad teams, like Cincinnati's metrics looked great because they were beating bad teams by more than they were supposed to. The spread said they're supposed to win by 12 or Ken Palm's spread says they're supposed to win by 12. They're winning by 20. So their metric goes up, even though it's adjusted for strength of schedule. But then as we found out when they played real competition, they weren't actually as good as their metrics would suggest. So that's my only concern about you. That's at the college level where things are a little bit closer together. If we get into the state of Kentucky, where you've got some small school in the mountains playing a couple of godforsaken teams that, can't score 20 points if they're locked by themselves in the gym for 40 minutes. And you've got, you know, the real regions playing real basketball. Those Ken Palm numbers or RPI numbers are probably still going to be skewed, even though you're trying to adjust them properly for strength of schedule and all those things. So I'm just not sure if all those advanced analytics work out at the high school level to make that worth doing, quite honestly. Yeah. And, and again, uh, listen, as somebody who coaches at one of the smaller schools in the entire state, um, uh, I'm still of the one class system. I still think it's what makes it special. We've got the all a tournament uh, and honestly it sucks for us because one of the best teams in the entire state Newport is also a class a school. It is what it is good for them. And and uh, hopefully they take advantage of that. Um, you know, you can argue there's years where the three best teams in the state are in Louisville. Um, right now, three of the top probably 15 teams in the state, in my opinion, are in Northern Kentucky and Covcath Cooper and, and, uh, and, and Newport. And only one of them is going to get out. So uh, again, it's, it, 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 there's nothing all equal about this. They've, they've set it up into 16 regions in the state, and I think the randomness of it is is what makes it so unique and special, and I still think more times than not, the best team finds a way to win the daggone thing. Yeah, it, don't get me wrong. It is definitely not the best way to find the best team or do it equally, but it is awesome, and the no-class system, the one true state champion, is the best thing going. They should never change that. They should never get away from that. And also, playing it down at Rupp Arena, you're in the state of Kentucky. That's where it should be played. Point yep. blank, period. I mean, you shouldn't change that at all. So. Ohio is about to go to six classes in basketball. How stupid is that? That's insane. 
Yeah, just have, you know what? Screw it. Let's just do. Well, let's stop, let's stop doing state tournaments. You're you play your regional, and you're a state champion if you win your regional from now on. Everyone's well, I'll tell you champion. this. I do know this. Um, if they do go to that system, I don't. I think the only thing they will have championship wise in Columbus is the championship games instead of the final four for each each division. Uh, just because it's it's going to be too unwieldy to do. Yeah, that's just stupid. Uh, if you travel outside the greater Cincy area for high school games, you'll see local radio stations calling high school games. And I fondly recall listening to the likes of Dale McMillan and Hardy Tribble calling high school games. How much does skinny miss pulling up a high school game on the radio? Oh, I love high school games on the radio. Um, that's, that's sometimes in, in playoff time, uh, when I'm broadcasting a game up in Ohio, um, you can get in the car and you can catch the tail end of a, of another high school game on a little station. So yeah, I, I do. I love, I love high school games on the radio. I will say a lot of, a lot of schools now have their own broadcast team streaming them, so that kind of has that feel to it, if you will. Um, and and it, it probably it gives you a broader reach. I mean, back in the day, it was special if your game was on uh, WHKK and Erlanger, which was Hardy Tribble and Dale McMillan, because uh, it was literally what, like a Tuesday game and a Friday game. That was it. So if your game was on the radio, it felt like that was kind of like game of the week special. To his credit, he tried to get everybody on. In fact, he had Covington Latin on a year. One of my neighbors, uh, Jim Rupker, Dr. Jim Rupker uh, led the ninth region in scoring. And I remember listening to that game and, and hearing him go off in, in that game. And so uh, I, they, they did them all. It was, it was, it was, it was unique and special, certainly a different time. I mean, that's back when we only had four TV stations too. There wasn't cable or any of that stuff. Uh, but yeah, I, I do, I do kind of miss that, that feel, especially in this area. I listen, St. Xavier has their games on the radio here. And I, I love listening to those guys. I get in a car after a game and sometimes I can catch the tail end of the St. X game on the radio. And it's pretty cool. Isn't it incredible though that back then we had let like fewer outlets, fewer places for all this stuff in town to go, including the professional sports and all that, and yet there was more coverage of local stuff and high school stuff. Now there's millions of outlets to put this stuff and almost no coverage of any of it. So yeah, correct. uh, I find that to be strange. All right, here's the big question: Do you have any Coney Island stories, and will you be signing the petition to keep it around? Um, if the petition came my way, I probably would. Uh, I, 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 I haven't got out of my way to do it. Uh, I vaguely remember going to Coney Island as a, as, a, as a kid. It felt like it took forever to get there for some reason. Um, I, I, you know, I think the last time, which it doesn't I, weirdly, like for Northern Kentucky people, oh, it's actually very convenient. Yeah, I know. But it felt like back in those, that day, that time, it just felt like it. I thought it was the same as Kings Island when I was a kid, basically. Yeah. Like it was up in well, Ohio. So, so it's just way up there. Yeah. So yeah, so I we moved out of this area. Uh, I was born in Cincinnati, but we moved to uh, to New York when I was seven in 1970. By the time I got back here in in 1974, when my father moved, we moved to Tulsa, and then back to here because of his job. Um, Coney Island was kind of a thing of the past, and Kings Island was 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 brand new. So I don't have a ton of memories. Uh, my my friend Tom Gamble, I did radio with. He got married. He had his. Uh, uh, Wedding reception at uh, Coney Island. That was pretty really? cool. My, my, yeah, my daughter actually her first uh, her first real job as a performer uh, was as, as, a, as a singer dancer at Coney Island. Like who was it four or five summers ago? Um, and and so I got that memory of going to see her a few times. Do that. So I got a handful, but not much from the ride. I just I vaguely remember it vaguely. Yeah, we we went there as kids, but at that point, like you said, it was already past its prime and King's right. Island was the thing. It was kind of like the, the small cheap thing you did on spring break when your parents weren't willing to fork over the money to go to uh, Disney world or King's Island or whatever. So um, I, my wife was a lifeguard there. So I, I, we had oh, that going wow. for us, but yeah. I find it funny. I think Mo brought up this point and I do, I, I keep seeing the same thing too. A lot of people are all up in arms about Coney Island going away and yet none of them have been there in over a decade. That, that's the thing. Exactly. <laughs> And it's just like, well, that's kind of how that works. If you don't go, it's kind of hard to keep it in business. Uh, skinny thoughts on the Pop-Tart Bowl mascot. That was just creepy weird, was it not? Would you have taken a bite? I think I would have. I would have. You got to try an edible mascot yeah, when you yeah, can. Yeah. What What would, uh, this is another question. If you got to eat a life-size version of any snack or food, what are you Ooh. picking? Ooh. I will say... Because I'm a big chocolate fudge Pop-Tart guy. I, I can eat that as a dessert. If you toast them up with a glass of milk, that's a good dessert. I'm not going to lie. I think that's how all of the, the Pop-Tarts seem to be. It's like they're really more of a dessert than they are 
a, a meal yeah, item. Like I, I eat them late at night if I eat a pop tart. It's funny. I've got two big boxes of the strawberry frosted downstairs that have been there for about a year and a half. I used to eat those like religiously, and then I just got kind of. I did this with Cheez Its too at one point. I, I used to eat Cheez Its as the main snack food, and then I just got sick of them after a while. That's, It'll come that's, back around. Yeah, that's a, that's a cyclical thing, I think, right there. I'm, I'm a brown sugar cinnamon pop tart guy. Yeah, I can't do that. I, I, those are the ones I can never do. Really? No. They're the best. All right, that's all we got, Skinny. All right, good stuff. Appreciate it. We'll be back next week. We'll have a lot of college basketball to discuss. We'll uh, start diving into the Bengals offseason and much, much more. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly folk re-edition presented by Blake, the attorney Mason.